the Roman Forum. For a thousand years, Rome ruled the known world, and the political, religious, and social center of this vast empire was a five-acre patch of land known as the Forum. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Thanks for joining me on a walk through the ancient city of Rome's most important temples, triumphal arches, and halls of justice. You'll want to allow about an hour to do justice to this audio-guided tour as we resurrect the rubble of the Forum, recreating the ancient world of vestal virgins, passionate orators, conquering generals, and sleazy emperors. How to use this audio guide. As you can see from the display window on your MP3 player, each of the forum's greatest hits has its own title and track number, much like the song tracks of a music CD. You can skip ahead or tailor your itinerary to your own tastes. But navigating through the forum on your own can be confusing, and it's easiest to just follow the tour in the order I've laid out. To help you along, I've invited my colleague, Lisa Brown. Welcome, Lisa. Buongiorno. She'll give directions from one ruin to the next. After listening to her directions, you can pause the audio tour, then restart it at the next track when you're ready to see the next site. Be aware that, even with the best of directions, sightseeing can be confusing. Sections of the forum are routinely closed off for restoration, and pathways can be rerouted without notice. If you're taking this tour with my Rick Steves Audio Europe app, don't miss its latest features. There are zoomable maps showing the route in each stop. These are viewable while you listen. A 20-second rewind button allows you to catch something you might have missed or hear vital directions a second time. And the speed button makes me talk faster, chipmunk style. You can read the actual script of this tour, and if you'd like more information on the spot, you can download our entire guidebook on this destination with a couple of clicks. Those following this tour on their iPod rather than with my fancier app may find that my guidebook to this place with its maps, photos, and exhibit titles can make following this audio tour easier. Above all, be flexible. Now, let's enter the forum and get started. Lisa, take us in. Thanks, Rick. The tour begins. A view of the forum. Our tour begins at the triumphal arch known as the Arch of Titus, located at the east end of the long valley known as the Forum. Of the various entrances to the Forum, this is the one nearest the Colosseum and the Colosseo metro stop. Rick? From the Arch of Titus, look out over the rubble-littered valley of the Forum and imagine Rome at its peak. This was the center of ancient Rome. The hill in the distance, with the bell tower, is Capitol Hill. Immediately to your left, with all the trees, is Palatine Hill. The valley in between is rectangular, running roughly east to west, from the Colosseum behind you up to Capitol Hill, far ahead. The rocky path at your feet is the Via Sacra, which runs through the trees, past the large brick Senate building, under another triumphal arch at the far end, and up Capitol Hill. Picture being here when a conquering general returned to Rome with crates of booty. The valley was full of gleaming white marble buildings topped with bronze roofs. The Via Sacra, main street of the Forum, would be lined with citizens, waving branches and carrying torches. The trumpets would sound as the parade began. First came porters carrying chests full of gold and jewels. 
Then, a parade of exotic animals from conquered lands. Elephants, giraffes, hippopotamuses, all for the crowd to ooh and awe at. Next came the prisoners in chains, with the captive king on a wheeled platform, so people could jeer and spit at him. Finally, the conquering hero himself would drive down in his four-horse chariot, with rose petals strewn in his path. The whole procession would run the length of the forum and up the face of Capitol Hill to the Temple of Saturn. That's the eight big columns midway up the hill. They'd place the booty in Rome's treasury. Then they'd continue up to the summit to the Temple of Jupiter. You can't see the Temple of Jupiter from here because only ruins of its foundation remain. Meeting the priests at the temple, they'd dedicate their victory to the King of the Gods. Conquest by conquest, Rome grew from a small band of tribespeople huddled in this valley to an empire stretching all across Europe. The wealth of that far-flung empire flowed inward to the city of Rome. Now, turn your attention to the big white arch next to you. For the best views, go down the steps. Find a place where you can both see it face on and also look up at the underside of the arch. The Arch of Titus This triumphal arch commemorated the Roman victory over the province of Judea, or Israel, in 70 A.D. The Romans had a reputation as benevolent conquerors who tolerated the local customs. All they required was allegiance to the empire, shown by worshipping the emperor as a god. No problem for most conquered people, who already had half a dozen gods on their prayer list anyway. But the Jews of Israel believed in only one god, and it wasn't the emperor. Israel revolted. After a short but bitter war, the Romans defeated the rebels, took Jerusalem, sacked their temple, and brought home 50,000 Jewish slaves. They were forced to build this arch, which celebrates their defeat. Now, walk right up underneath the arch. Roman propaganda decorates the inside of the arch. Check it out. A relief shows the Emperor Titus in a chariot being crowned by the goddess Victory. Thanks to modern pollution, they both look like they've been through the wars. The other side shows booty from the sacking of the temple in Jerusalem. Soldiers carry off a precious Jewish menorah and other plunder. The two plaques on the poles are unfinished. They were to have listed the conquered cities. Look at the relief at the top of the ceiling. It shows Titus, after his death, riding an eagle to heaven, where he'll become one of the gods. The brutal crushing of the Jewish rebellion in 70 A.D., and another one 60 years later, devastated the nation of Israel. With no temple as a center for their faith, the Jews scattered throughout the world, the diaspora. There would be no Jewish political entity again for almost 2,000 years, until modern Israel was created after World War II. Our next stop is the three huge arches about 100 yards away. Even from here, you can probably see them. To get there, start walking down the Via Sacra into the Forum. As you walk, think of the great civilization that built these monumental structures. Ancient Rome lasted a thousand years. Excuse me, Rick, but some vital directions here. 
After about 50 yards, a pathway veers off the Via Sacra. Turn right here and follow the path uphill. Keep walking while Rick gives a little more history. We'll see you at the Three Big Arches. Rome in a Nutshell The story of ancient Rome spans about a thousand years, from 500 B.C. to 500 A.D. In a nutshell, it rose for 500 years, peaked for 200 years, and declined for 300 years. The first half was the Republic, ruled by an aristocracy via their elected senators. The second half was the Empire, ruled by a no-nonsense dictator or emperor. Right from the start, war was the business of state. Rome expanded until eventually it controlled most of Western Europe and the entire Mediterranean Sea. The word Rome came to refer to the civilized world itself, and the Mediterranean was known as Mare Nostrum, our sea. About the time of Christ, the vast Roman Empire was too unwieldy to be ruled in the idealistic Republic style. They needed an iron-fisted dictator backed by the military. Julius Caesar bridged the gap between Republic and Empire. This ambitious general and politician assumed dictatorial powers in about 50 B.C., suspending the Republic. Though he was assassinated, more on that later, his adopted son, Augustus, succeeded him, and soon Caesar was not just a family name, but a title. Emperor Augustus ushered in the Pax Romana, or Roman peace, from about 1 A.D. to the year 200. At her peak, Rome controlled an empire that stretched even beyond Eurail, from Scotland to Egypt, from Spain all the way to the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in modern-day Iraq. Stand and admire the three huge arches of the Basilica of Constantine, getting a sense of the grandeur of Rome in its prime. The Basilica of Constantine Look at these immense arches. They used to blow me away. Then I learned they were only side niches. Look high above those nubs, and then imagine the main arches stretching high above entirely across this big vacant lot. Now, complete the Mammoth Hall of Justice in your mind. Those three arches were matched by three more on the other side, where only ruined pillars remain today. The hall itself was as long as a football field. It was lavishly finished with colorful inlaid marble, a gilded bronze ceiling, and statues, and it was filled with strolling Romans. As this was the Basilica of Constantine, at the far end there was an enormous marble statue of Emperor Constantine on a throne. His finger was as big as me. Pieces of this statue are on display in the courtyard of Rome's Capitoline Museum. A basilica was a covered meeting place, often serving as a Roman hall of justice. In a society that was as legal-minded as America is today, you needed a lot of lawyers, and a big place to put them. Citizens came here to get building permits, settle inheritances, or sue somebody. Notice the layout, a long central hall flanked by two side aisles. This spacious floor plan was later adopted by medieval Christians who required a larger meeting hall for their worship services than Roman temples provided. The Roman Basilica became the model for virtually all Christian churches, from Italy to France to England, and from Romanesque to Gothic to Renaissance. All have the same basic floor plan as a Roman Basilica. 
This basilica was begun by Emperor Maxentius, but after he was trounced in battle, the victor, Constantine, completed this massive building. No doubt about it, the Romans built monuments on a more epic scale than any previous Europeans, wowing their barbarian neighbors. Now, let's explore deeper into the Forum. Start backtracking to the Via Sacra. By the way, as we leave the Basilica of Constantine, let me mention one more thing. Though the Basilica was indeed a hall of justice, many of its architectural features are similar to another grand structure common in Rome, the Baths. Romans loved going to their fitness club every day. Throughout Rome, there were huge buildings with swimming pools, saunas, and workout rooms. Unfortunately, there are no baths to visit here in the Forum. But now that you've seen the Basilica of Constantine, you can get a sense of the grandeur of these ancient fitness clubs. When you reach the Via Sacra, turn right and start heading downhill. The Via Sacra Stroll through the trees down this main street of the ancient city. Imagine being an out-of-town visitor during Rome's heyday, maybe from Gaul, modern France, or Londinium, modern London. You know a little Latin, but nothing would have prepared you for the bustle of Rome, a city of a million people. This street would be swarmed with tribunes, slaves, and courtesans. Chariots whizzed by. Wooden stalls lined the roads where merchants peddled their goods. Think of all the history around you. You may pass modern workers in roped-off archaeological zones digging down through the millennia. The Via Sacra was paved with large basalt stones. Think of it. Many of the very stones under your feet were actually walked on by Caesar Augustus 2,000 years ago. Sturdy roads like Via Sacra were part of an efficient transportation network, about 50,000 miles of paved roads in all. Originally, roads like these were covered over with concrete and smooth-fitting stones. Roman businessmen traveled them on foot or in carts. The mail sped along in a kind of Pony Express system, and bureaucrats rode in chariots, allowing them to administer far-off lands. On your right, you'll pass a building with a green door. That green door is the original bronze door to the Temple of Romulus, still swinging on its ancient hinges after 17 centuries. And these days, that ancient temple is sometimes used for modern exhibits. No wonder they call Rome the Eternal City. Keep going down the Via Sacra. Up ahead on your right, you'll see ten tall columns. Huge columns. These huge columns form the entrance to a former temple. The Temple of Antoninus Pius and Faustina This temple honors the 2nd century Emperor Antoninus Pius and his wife, Faustina. The 50-foot-tall Corinthian columns with their ornate and leafy capitals must have been awe-inspiring to -to out-of-towners who grew up in thatched huts. Although the temple is now inhabited by a church, you can still see the basic layout. A staircase led to a shaded porch where you see the columns. From here, you entered the main building, now the church. Inside the temple stood a statue of a Roman god. Picture a Roman priest climbing these steps to make an offering to the god inside. 
For the superstitious Romans, religion was all about making peace with the gods to guarantee their blessings and good fortune. To appease the fickle gods, they paid priests to sacrifice an animal in their behalf or to interpret the will of the gods by studying the animal's internal organs. Romans had a god for every important event in their lives. Scholars estimate Romans had about 30,000 gods to keep happy. The goddess of childbirth, the god of babies' first steps, the goddess who made bread rise, and even Venus Cloacina, the sewer goddess. So when Emperor Antoninus' beloved wife died, he could declare her a goddess, build this temple in her honor, and no one blinked. Imagine these stately columns in Rome's heyday, with gilded capitals, supporting a triangular-shaped pediment decorated with brightly painted statues, and the whole building capped with a gleaming bronze roof. The stately gray rubble of today's forum is like a faded black-and-white photograph of a 3D technicolor era. Now, with your back to the ten tall columns... Huge, huge columns. Huge columns walk away from the temple. The dirt path leads to two sites associated with Rome's Vestal Virgins. Virgins? As the path curves to the right, you'll see the remains of a small, white, circular temple. This is the Temple of Vesta. Approach closer to it, because this round temple is best viewed from its downhill side. The Temple of Vesta. This is perhaps Rome's most sacred spot. Notice that the temple remains are curved. Originally, this temple was circular, like a glorified farmer's hut, the kind Rome's first families lived in. Rome considered itself one big family, and inside this temple, a fire burned, just as in a Roman home. Although we think of the Romans as decadent, in fact, they prided themselves on their family values. People venerated their parents, grandparents, and ancestors, even keeping small statues of them in sacred shrines in their homes. This temple represented those family values on a large scale. Its fire symbolized the hearth of the extended family that was Rome. And back in those days, you never wanted your fire to go out. People believed as long as the sacred flame burned, Rome would stand. The flame was tended by six priestesses known as Vestal Virgins. Those Vestal Virgins lived nearby. Circle around the back of the Temple of Vesta. In other words, backtrack a few steps up the path. These six Vestal Virgins were chosen from noble families before they reached the age of ten. They served a thirty-year term, tending the flame in the temple. The Vestals were honored and revered by the Romans. They had the power to pardon condemned criminals. They even had their own box at the Colosseum, opposite the emperor. And their residence wasn't shabby either. As you circle around behind the Temple of Vesta, you'll find a place to view the House of the Vestal Virgins. Virtually all that remains today is the building's rectangular courtyard with two rectangular pools.
The House of the Vestal Virgins The Vestal Virgins lived in a two-story building that stood here. It surrounded a long central courtyard. You can see two pools that decorated it at one end. The row of statues honored illustrious Vestal Virgins. Their sacred duty was to be ritual homemakers, tending the temple home of the goddess Vesta. They brought water from a sacred spring, cooked sacred food, and I imagine even polished the ritual silverware. And most importantly, they made sure the hearth fire never ever went out. As the name implies, a Vestal took a vow of chastity. If she served her term faithfully, abstaining for thirty years, she was given a huge dowry and allowed to marry. But if they found any virgin who, well, wasn't, she was strapped to a funeral cart, paraded through the streets of the Forum, taken to a crypt, given a loaf of bread and a lamp, and buried alive. Many women suffered this latter fate. Notice the layout of this home for priestesses, an open-air courtyard surrounded by a covered walkway and living quarters. This place was the model, both architecturally and sexually, for medieval convents and monasteries in the Christian era. Standing here at the House of the Vestal Virgins, you have a nice view of Palatine Hill rising up behind it. Some of the ruins on the flank of that hill are from the former palace of the Emperor Caligula. Caligula was not a nice person. He tortured enemies, stole senators' wives, and even parked his chariot in handicap spaces. But Rome's luxury-loving, egomaniac emperors only added to the glory of the Forum, with each one trying to make his mark on history. Backtrack once again to the Temple of Vesta. We're headed now to the very heart of the Roman Forum. But first, as you pass the Temple of Vesta, Look to the left, where you'll see three tall columns with a crossbeam connecting them. This marks the Temple of Castor and Pollux, one of the city's oldest. These three columns have become the most photographed site in the Forum. The path spills into an open area that stretches before you. This was the center of the ancient Forum. The Forum's Main Square The word Forum referred to this entire valley and its main square. The main square was this flat patch of land about the size of a football field stretching to the base of Capitol Hill. It was the original piazza, an open area accommodating the gregarious and social nature of ancient Romans. Surrounding the square were temples, law courts, government buildings, and triumphal arches. Rome was born right here. According to legend, twin brothers Romulus and Remus were orphaned in infancy and raised by a she-wolf on top of the Palatine. Growing up, they found it hard to get dates. So, they and their cohorts attacked the nearby Sabine tribe and kidnapped their women. Or so went the legend. Closer to fact, this marshy valley became the meeting place and then the trading center for the scattered tribes on the surrounding hillsides. Throughout Rome's long history, The square was the busiest, most crowded, and often seediest section of town. Besides senators, politicians, and money changers, there were even sleazier types. Souvenir hawkers, pickpockets, fortune tellers, 
gamblers, slave traders, drunks, hookers, lawyers, and tour guides. The Forum is now rubble, but imagine it in its prime. Gleaming white marble buildings with 40-foot-high columns and shiny bronze roofs, rows of statues painted in realistic colors, processional chariots rattling down the Via Sacra. Mentally replace tourists in T-shirts with tribunes in togas. Imagine the buildings towering and the people buzzing around you while an orator gives a rabble-rousing speech from the foot of Capitol Hill. If things still look just like a pile of rocks, at least tell yourself, but Julius Caesar once leaned against these same rocks. And speaking of Julius Caesar, let's see his temple. At the near end of the main square, the end closest to the Colosseum, find the foundations of a temple now sheltered by a modern tin roof. The Temple of Julius Caesar Julius Caesar's body was burned on this spot under the metal roof after his assassination in 44 B.C. Caesar, born in the year 100 B.C., changed Rome and the Forum dramatically. Popular with the people because of his military victories and charisma, he gained control of the government, suspended the Roman Constitution, and ruled like a king or dictator. In the Forum, he cleared out many of the wooden market stalls and replaced them with grand marble buildings. Caesar's house was located behind the temple, near that clump of trees. In fact, Caesar walked right by here on the day he was assassinated, the place where the street corner preacher called out to him, Beware the Ides of March! Though he was popular with the masses, not everyone liked Caesar's politics. During a Senate meeting, he was ambushed by a conspiracy of senators, including his adopted son, Brutus. One by one, they stepped up to take turns stabbing him. Caesar died gasping his final astonished words to Brutus. A too, Brute. He died. The funeral was held here, facing the main square. The citizens gathered and speeches were made. Mark Antony stood up to say, in Shakespeare's words, Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. When Caesar's body was burned, the citizens who still loved him threw anything at hand on the fire. The fire grew huge, so huge it actually required the fire department to come and put it out. Later, Emperor Augustus dedicated this temple in his name, making Caesar the first Roman to become a god. Peek in behind the wall under the tin roof. In the small curved area, there's a mound of dirt that usually has fresh flowers, given to remember the man who, more than any other, personified the greatness of Rome. Start walking toward the Forum's west end, the end farthest from the Colosseum, heading towards the big triumphal arch. Along the way, listen as Rick talks about how the empire changed Rome. Roman Society As you walk alongside the open space of the Forum's main square, consider how the piazza is still a standard part of any Italian town. The town square, or piazza, has reflected and accommodated the outgoing nature of the Italian people since Roman times. Although the Forum housed Rome's grandest temples and government buildings, it was also a bustling marketplace. Fast food stands were everywhere, since Romans rarely cooked for themselves in their cramped apartments. 
The Forum was a melting pot of people from the far-flung Roman world. Foreigners, citizens, slaves, nobles, and businessmen all rubbed shoulders here in the peace and prosperity that came with Roman rule. As the orator Cicero said, the welfare of the people is the ultimate law. But Rome was changing as its empire expanded. Rulers found it difficult to maintain a 10,000-mile frontier as barbarians pecked away at the borders hoping for their slice of Rome's pie. Taxation rose to oppressive levels, and inflation skyrocketed. Politically, the corrupt government was becoming more like a banana republic than a great empire. Rome's slow-motion fall inspired emperors to try drastic solutions. In the 3rd century, Diocletian split the huge empire into two administrative halves. His successor, Constantine, who ruled in the early 300s, tried to unify the society by embracing the new religion of Christianity. But despite these efforts, Rome had begun its long decline. As you approach the far end of the square, you'll pass by several trees bearing fruits that were sacred to ancient Romans. Olives provided food and oil for light and preservatives. Figs were a tasty food staple. And grapes? Well, the Romans loved their wine. Wine and olive oil were profitable export products for Roman businessmen. When you reach the big triumphal arch, which we'll talk about later, stop at the big, well-preserved brick building to the right of the arch with the triangular roof. This area around the arch may be fenced off for archaeological work, but if the big brick building, the Curia, happens to be open, it's worth climbing the steps to look in. The Curia, or Senate House The Curia was the oldest and most important political building in the Forum. Since the birth of the Republic, this was the site of Rome's official center of government. Three hundred senators elected by the citizens of Rome donned their togas, tucked their scrolls under their arms, and climbed the steps into this great hall. Inside, they gave speeches, debated policy, and created the laws of the land. They sat with their backs to the walls surrounding the big hall on three sides in bleachers stacked three tiers high. At the far end sat the Senate President, or later the Emperor, on his podium. The marble floor, you see, is from ancient times. Listen to the echoes in this vast room. The acoustics are great, and imagine the stirring speeches and passionate debates that happened right here. Rome prided itself on being a republic. Early in the city's history, its people threw out the king and established rule by elected representatives. Each Roman citizen was free to speak his mind and have a say in public policy. Even when emperors became the supreme authority, the Senate was a power to be reckoned with. The present Curia building dates from 283 A.D. It's so well preserved because it was used as a church since early Christian times. In the 1930s, it was restored and opened to the public as a historic site. On display inside the Curia are a statue and two reliefs that help us imagine life in the Forum long ago. The statue, with its head, arms, and feet now missing, was made of porphyry marble in about 100 A.D. It was a tribute to an emperor, probably Hadrian or Trajan. Notice also the two carved relief panels. 
The panel on the left shows people with big stone tablets standing in line to burn their debt records following a government amnesty. The other relief shows the distribution of grain, Rome's welfare system, some buildings in the background, and the latest fashion in togas. Go back down the Senate steps. By the way, although people say Julius Caesar was assassinated on the steps in the Senate, it wasn't actually here. The Senate was temporarily meeting across town. To find our next site, face the Triumphal Arch. To the left of that is a 10-foot-high wall at the base of the Capitol Hill marked Rostri. The Rostrum Nowhere was Roman freedom more apparent than at this speaker's corner. The rostrum was a raised platform, ten feet high and eighty feet long, decorated with statues, columns, and the prows of ships, called rostra in Latin. On a stage like this, Rome's orators, great and small, tried to draw a crowd and sway public opinion. Picture the backdrop these speakers would have had, a mountain of glorious marble buildings rising right up the Capitol Hill. It was here that Mark Antony rose up to offer Caesar the laurel-leaf crown of kingship, which Caesar publicly and hypocritically refused while privately becoming a dictator. Men such as Cicero railed against the corruption and decadence that came with the city's newfound wealth, and Cicero paid the price. He was executed and had his head and hands nailed to the rostrum as a public warning. In later years, when emperors ruled, it took real daring to speak out against the powers that be. Rome's democratic spirit was increasingly squelched. Eventually, the emperor and the army, not the senate and the citizens, held ultimate power, and Rome's vast empire began to rot from within. Now turn your attention to the big arch to the right of the rostrum. The Arch of Septimius Severus In imperial times, the rostrum's voices of democracy would have been dwarfed by images of empire, such as the huge, six-story-high arch of Septimius Severus. It was built in about the year 200. The reliefs commemorate the African-born emperor's battles in Mesopotamia. Check out the reliefs near ground level. Soldiers march captured barbarians back to Rome for the victory parade. More and more, Rome's economy was based on slave power and foreign booty rather than on domestic production. And despite efficient rule by emperors like Severus, Rome's empire was beginning to crumble under the weight of its own corruption, disease, and decaying infrastructure. Remember that Rome lasted a thousand years. To review, it grew for 500 years, peaked for 200 years, and then gradually fell for 300 years. The fall had many causes. Christians blamed the fall on moral decay. Pagans blamed it on Christians. Socialists blamed it on a shallow economy based on the spoils of war. Liberals blamed it on the conservatives, and vice versa. And regardless of the problems within, there was always the presence of barbarian tribes on the fringes. The far-flung empire could no longer keep its grip on conquered lands, and the Roman legions began backpedaling. As we near the end of Rome's history, we're also nearing the end of our tour. Our final stop is the Temple of Saturn. You can see it from here. It's the eight big columns just up the slope of Capitol Hill. 
You could walk to it for a closer look. But if archaeological work blocks the way, you can just view it from here. To help decide, it's worth consulting your guidebook to figure out which of the forum's various exits works best for you. Whatever you decide, our tour concludes with the next track, as Rick brings us to the conclusion of the forum's glorious history. The Temple of Saturn and the Column of Focus, Rome's End These eight columns framed the entrance to the Forum's oldest temple. It dated from about 500 B.C. Inside, there was once a humble, very old wooden statue of the god Saturn. The statue's claim to fame was its pedestal, which held the gold bars, coins, and jewels of Rome's state treasury, the booty collected by conquering generals. Standing here at one of the Forum's first buildings, look east out over the Forum and find a lone tall column that's one of the Forum's final monuments. The Column of Focus dates from the year 608. It was a gift from the new dominant empire Byzantium to the old fallen empire Rome. Given to commemorate the pagan pantheon becoming a Christian church, it's like a symbolic last nail in ancient Rome's coffin. After Rome's thousand-year reign, the once vast empire had shrunk down to little more than the city itself, surrounded by a medieval-style wall. In the year 410, that wall was breached and the city was looted. In 451, the Pope had to personally plead with Attila the Hun for mercy. A thousand years of tradition was disintegrating. Finally, in 476, the last emperor sold his title for a comfy pension, checked out, and switched off the lights, leaving a political vacuum and plunging Europe into a thousand years of darkness. Poverty, ignorance, superstition, the Dark Ages. The city of Rome shrank from over a million to about 10,000. The once grand city center, the Forum, was abandoned, slowly covered up by centuries of silt and dirt. By medieval times, the column of focus could barely pop its head above the ground. In the 1700s, an English historian named Edward Gibbon overlooked this spot from Capitol Hill. Hearing Christian monks singing at these pagan ruins, he looked out at the few columns poking up from the ground, pondered the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, and thought, hmm, that's a catchy title. I think I'll write a book. But the spirit of Rome has lived on through the centuries, especially in the Christian religion. In the last years of the Roman Empire, Christianity had become the state religion. Senators became bishops. Orators became priests. Basilicas became churches. And the Roman emperor, the Pontifex Maximus, became the Christian pope, the Pontifex Maximus. Then, around the year 1500, interest in ancient Rome was reborn in the Renaissance. And today, hints of Rome still exist in our everyday world. Our language, Laws, literature, art, architecture, and science all have a basis in these enlightened people. The glory of Rome remains eternal. We hope you enjoyed this walk through the Roman Forum. Thanks to Gene Openshaw, the co-author of this tour. If you're planning more sightseeing, we have audio guides available for the Colosseum, the Pantheon, St. Peter's, and the Sistine Chapel. Remember, this tour was excerpted from the Rick Steves Rome Guidebook, co-authored by Gene Openshaw. For more details on eating, sleeping, and sightseeing in Rome, 
refer to this year's edition of that guidebook. For more free audio tours and podcasts, and for information about our TV shows, bus tours, and travel gear, visit our website at ricksteves.com. This tour was produced by Cedar House Audio Productions. Grazie. Ciao. And buon viaggio. Bye.